Hello you lovely lot, it's the last episode of series 3 today and this time I have been talking to the completely inspirational Dr Emma Egging from the John Egging Trust. On the 20th of August 2011, Flight Lieutenant John Egging lost his life whilst completing a display at the Bournemouth Air Festival. He was coming to the end of his first year flying with the Red Arrows. His wife Emma was watching. Emma, along with John's mum and friends, launched the John Egging Trust, a charity that supports struggling children to reach their full potential. You know, we all know from bases that you can throw a stone over the sort of the wire and you can hit an area of real deprivation. They're really rural. Um, and, and yet within those bases, there's a wealth of knowledge and um, opportunity. Why, why couldn't we do more? So we had these conversations and when John died, um, so many people came up to me and said, you know, is there anything I can do? And these are people John worked with, John trained. Um, and I said, well, do you know what? John and I had this idea. John was passionate about speaking to young people. I know how to set up programs working with young people. Um, with your help, um, we can... I want to start a charity. The charity website describes John as an inspirational person, and it's this inspiration that's at the heart of everything they do. The accredited programmes increase young people's self-confidence, self-esteem and other vital life and work skills that empowers them to become role models within their own communities. The John Egging Trust realises John's dream of inspiring young people through his love of aviation, teamwork and leadership, helping them to overcome adversity, identify their strengths and work towards their ambitions, all with Emma leading the charge. I can't quite tell you how honoured I am that Emma has shared her very personal story with me and I know that you will find it really inspirational. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Independent Spouse podcast. Hello, Emma, and thank you so much for joining me today. It is so lovely to be talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. Firstly, the work that you are doing with the John Egging Trust is so amazing. I've been researching you and the charity just for this podcast, and I'm really impressed. But if there's anyone who hasn't heard of the charity, could you give us a little insight in what you're doing and how it started? Yeah, absolutely. So back nearly 10 years ago now, um, I was, I guess, a different version of Emma. So I was working in London. My husband, John, he was in his first year of flying for the Red Arrows. So we were living in Rutland. John was commuting to Scampton every day and I was commuting to London. I had, I guess, a, my dream job um, working at the British Museum. I'd studied archaeology and I'd got on to do research and um, got a PhD. So we had this kind of perfect life, I guess, of both really motivated by what we were doing, but living together and enjoying life. Um, John had been flying for the whole season um, with the Reds and I'd gone and watched him as, as much as I could. Um, it was one of the last air shows he did at Bournemouth where he had displayed and was coming in to land and for lots of various different reasons um, didn't make it. So he crashed before he, he landed his jet and my world changed. Um, and that change you know, nearly 10 years on has been the creation of a charity in his name 
but is now a charity that is um, a charity that's got 25 staff and is supporting, we supported 10,000 young people across the UK last year. So I suppose it's really lovely to talk to you now because we've been on such a big journey. I've been on a big journey and it's just incredible to think that lots of other people I, I know have had similar experiences where life has seemed absolutely perfect and they've had a curveball um and just to say no matter how hard life can be there's always a way to to see to see a way through it and the support that we give to young people 10 years on has really changed hundreds and thousands of lives so being able to look back and say through our work we have made it possible for young people who would not be in education would not be in school many of them I've said it themselves on the wrong path and would probably be in prison now. But thanks to the amazing heroes that we have working for us, um, volunteering for us. Yeah, we're in a point now where the charity can only get bigger and better. So I should probably talk to you about what, what the charity does, shouldn't I? I know that's kind of a, a bird's eye view. But so we work with young people who are in school, but at risk of dropping out of school. I'm sure we all know youngsters who age 13, 14 are going down the wrong route. So they might be behaviours not good, grades aren't good, but every young person has got bags of potential. So at the heart of the John Aking Trust is that idea that Schools at the moment are so pressured, there's so much going on that early intervention for lots of young people is just not possible. So we're a charity that when um, when schools come to us saying they've got young people who are struggling at school, they might be um, young carers going home to, to look after a parent or sibling who's chronically ill, um, or they may have learning difficulties such as dyslexia, autism, or something that's stopping them learning in schools. We work in partnership um, with those schools to support young people to come out of whatever it is they're limiting that's limiting them, whether it's school, whether it's something that's happening at home, um, and give them sessions and introduce them to role models who help them think differently about their futures. So we, we work with looking at some key work and life skills. So we develop confidence, communication skills. We give young people um, an insight into their strengths. So they may not think they're good at English or maths, but actually um, they might have strengths in other areas or they may be good at those subjects. They just haven't understood what the point is of learning maths. So we introduce them to practical environments such as engineering, um, spend time with catering teams on, on bases. They, they go out there and they do problem solving activities and tasks. And, and through this, um, our young people's grades go up, their attendance goes up, their performance goes up. Um, and pre pretty much we, we help those young people stay in school and take the right choices for them when they're when they're at a point of going on from leaving school so our programs started in Lincolnshire back in 2012 and year on year we've added pretty much a region every year so we're now operating in nine regions across the UK um, and as well as our Blue Skies program so this intensive work that I've just described we also offer opportunities for schools to come to us and say they've got a group of young people who might be struggling with self-confidence and we put together bespoke packages for them or we have a school where they would, could really do with an inspirational speaker so we look at um, who in our network of volunteers and contacts could go into the school and, and give an inspirational assembly so basically on that idea of inspiration, teamwork and leadership, 
um, we offer programs and, and opportunities for, yeah, it was 10,000 young people last year. Gosh, it's just amazing. I've been reading your website um, intensively to prepare for this interview um, and I wasn't really aware of everything you do and it's genuinely so impressive and so important for young people to have that access. But why is it young people that you focus on? Why is it so important that they get this kind of access? So John and I met back at the university when we were both on the university air squadron. I wanted to go at flying. I'd watched Top Gun and done the classic thing of, yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? And joined the air squadron, had a go at flying in the bulldog at the time and just, I found it really difficult. So I decided I'd concentrate on archaeology, but I stayed on the squadron because I loved, you know, being part of that military can-do um, environment. Um, John was a much better pilot than me, obviously, and, and when I left university and pursued my archaeology career, I basically tracked John through his military career. So he's flying training. He was at Valley um, as an instructor and then went on to fly the Harrier. And, and just absorbing that and, and seeing him go through his career, what John did and took time to do was to say go out and speak to schools he went back to his um, cadets whenever he could he used what he was doing in the royal air force as an opportunity to say to people in the communities where he was either living or where he grew up he went back to those schools and those units just to say I come from a very normal background. He was told at various points in his life that he would never be a pilot. He didn't listen to the people saying that. Um, he got rejected, for example, he applied to BA um, to be a pilot before he joined the Royal Air Force and they told him he wasn't good enough at maths. So that idea that John really believed that had he listened to a few of those people that said no to him as a child, then he wouldn't be doing what he'd been able to do. Um, and he you know, thoroughly enjoyed um, what he was doing so he took that message out that message out to school kids and saw the difference it made in them just having someone say believe in them and say I was you and that was just such a powerful message so as well as John doing that even though my background's in archaeology my work at the British Museum was about trying to say that the museum's amazing collection wasn't just for, for museum geeks. Um, it was for, it had a power beyond that. And my work at the museum was about setting up programs with local communities, some very deprived local communities where young people thought, British Museum, what's in there for me, who cares? And just supporting those young people to come into the museum and have a voice. So I was passionate about giving young people a voice and using old institutions, the British Museum, um, and all the amazing information and wealth of knowledge in that institution, but opening the doors and saying, come look at these objects, come discover the stories. And John and I spoke about that a lot and how the Royal Air Force was another old institution um, with very set ways and um, rules and regulations, but, you know, open the doors and there's so many talents and expertise and, and you know things that young people can learn from and why wasn't why wasn't the Royal Air Force doing more to engage and so we had these conversations on the sofa as you do when you both come home from work and I've done this today I've done this today and we both sort of said wouldn't it be great if John and I could have put something together that capitalizes on that knowledge that there's communities often you know, we all know from bases that you can throw a stone over the sort of the wire and you can hit an area of real deprivation. They're really rural um, 
and, and yet within those bases, there's a wealth of knowledge and um, opportunity. Why, why couldn't we do more? So we had these conversations and when John died, um, so many people came up to me and said, you know, is there anything I can do? And these are people John worked with, John trained. Um, and I said, well, do you know what? John and I had this idea. John was passionate about speaking to young people. I know how to set up programs working with young people. Um, with your help, um, we can, I want to set up a charity. So it came through that. It came out through who John was, what he did. I guess the fact that I was working with young people in a different environment, but also that real knowledge that there are thousands of young people out there who are not getting the support they need. You've got bags of potential. Um, and with a little bit of intervention at the right age, they can be not only kept in school, but on an amazing trajectory um, and go out there and do an amazing things if you only support them early enough. Um, so, so that's what I did. Which is so important and so inspiring. I think that we all, especially living in this community, we sort of forget how um, inspiring and influential our partners can be and ourselves can be. Um, it's not it's not an easy life to live in, but we're surrounded by some pretty amazing people. Um, I watched the video on your website, which is brilliant. It's a little sort of insight into how you help young people with their self-confidence, their self-belief, making them realize how good they are. You mentioned in that video, your inspirational volunteers, who you find within the armed forces community and that you also find within the STEM community. The majority of listeners to this podcast are very inspirational, as we know, and they're also married to some inspirational people. So if they wanted to get involved and volunteer, what would be involved with becoming one of those inspirational volunteers? So we'd love to hear from anyone out there who um, has got a story about how they have overcome a challenge in their life or have like John was told that they, they couldn't do something and there's gone on to do it. Um, you know, that can be the light bulb moment for our young people. Um, just going into a class and saying, this is me, this is what I've done, but this is how I've done it and you can do it. It's just amazing. So love to hear. And I would love to hear from more, more women, um, uh, you know, out there or, or anybody who's sort of listening to this thinking, I'm not in the military, but I've got a story that can help. I think I can inspire. So please go to our website. Um, if you just Google John Aking Trust, you'll see our website and there's a get in touch um, email on there. So it'll go to our info at email, but we'll pick that up and we'll direct it to the right member of the team. Um, whatever area we're in in the country, we, we, we do actually kind of cover quite a lot of the UK. So hopefully um, we'll, we'll be working with a base um, near you. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Even if it's just an idea, please get in touch because we're really keen, as I say, to just in any way help unlock the potential of young people. So even if it's just a connection that you have, we work with corporates, we work with local business, but also that kind of entrepreneur and inspirational idea is, is really key to what we're about promoting in our young people. And it will make such a difference. So I really hope that people do get in touch. So going back to the charity and starting it, and now you are running it, you also have a new little family. You have a little bit of military life thrown in. How do you find the time to do it all and how do you keep going? So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I know um, the Trust's all about celebrating John and taking who he was and scaling it up. And But life also carries on, doesn't it? And I remarried in 2014. Um, um, my lovely husband is in the Royal Navy and he's based at Barkston Heath. Um, he's a flying instructor there and um, we've been in this lovely, unique situation, I guess, in many ways where um, 
we had our second child, Agnes, in October last year. And Rod has taken parental leave to enable me to continue leading the charity. So, so it's tough in many ways because um, Agnes is now just nearly four months old and I'm, I'm at my desk three days a week and it, it's full on running, running an organisation you know, there's so much responsibility. So I, I work long hours and Agnes is not sleeping properly. So I'm obviously not getting a huge amount of sleep, but you make it work. And I want to do this. It's my choice. I'm really lucky that in many ways that Rod is in a situation where he can take time to, to be at home with Agnes. Um, and I think the most important lesson that I've, I've learned um, is that remember what's be true to yourself and what it is, what it is that's you. And you can be a really good mum and a really good career woman and do it all. And that's okay. And it's about what you need to do and what you want to do. And with me, I suppose I see the difference we make every day. You know, I, I, I hear from young people, speak to the staff who are now running the programs. I speak to funders who have funded in us because they, they know the difference we make. And I know that a large bit of Emma is about, driving this charity which can do so much more and is doing so much and being a mum is really important too so everything's in the mix and um i'm i believe that i'm a really good mum and i believe i'm i'm you know i've learned how to be a really good businesswoman because if you don't run a charity like a business you don't have a charity so um i think my message just is if you want to do something don't let anybody tell you you can't and remember every day when things get hard what it why it is you started this because looking back can help you look forward as well oh it's brilliant it's always about the why i find that in business particularly as long as you focus on why you started out why you're doing it especially in those days when it's getting a bit tough it's too busy and things um sort of start piling on that actually focusing on why you started is so important especially what you have with the charity and the beginnings of that and how important and how special it is but I'm guessing it's not always been plain sailing so before this podcast I always ask my guests to fill out a form so I can find out a little bit more about them and you said in the past that in the greyest of days if you fly up high enough you'll always find blue skies when were the greyest days and how did you get past them well I mean it's obviously that sort of I talked in the beginning about the perfect life you know so John was in the job that he'd always dreamed of doing I was in the job I was always dreamed of doing life was really good and so to have that all come crashing down literally um and then to wake up one morning and and realize your world has changed overnight yeah just just horrendous um but, but that idea that I think spouses are by nature of what military spouses by nature of what our world is, you know, we always know of the what ifs, we know the nature of what our other halves do can be dangerous. And that's why they're in the military because there is that you know element that they need to put their, their, their lives at risk if they need to. Um, so, I suppose I didn't expect my life to change overnight, but when it happened, I knew that I had to get on with it. And part of getting on with it was to look at how I could create something good 
out or something over and that sounds a bit trite but it's just what that was just instinctively what I wanted to do I wanted to make the most um out of who John was and not to grieve what I'd lost um, and get stuck in that grief so those were the tough days um but then from that every little bit of opportunity I had to build the charity and to learn from that experience I have valued that hugely I mean our young people have gained so much from this world that wasn't accessible to them before and so just having that impact and learning on on the job and the other tough days have just been when I've reached the maybe the the max maximum level of knowledge on the subject to do with the growth of the charity and I've had to stand back and ask for expertise on how I grow an organization how we you know grow to the next level of fundraising that we need so the the, the difficult bits I think anyone listening who set up their own business or company will know those days where they wake up and they go oh this is hard <laughs> do I jack it all in now or I don't want to do that I want it to grow so there's also hard days isn't there when you're building something and they might have, I had quite a few people at the beginning of setting up the charity tell me it wouldn't work. Surprisingly, you know, um, saying, you know, nice idea, Emma, and I know why you're doing it, but, you know, it's not going to work. Some statistic about three in five businesses don't make it, which is a weird thing to say to someone in a year a year from losing their, their other half and setting up something. But I also, listening to that advice of it will never work, you know, give up now, maybe want to do it even more. And it's not only working now, we've, we've, got, we've got lots of potential to do even more. So, yeah, I, I think that idea about even the darkest days, look at, look at the why and know that um, life will, will change. And it's true. And in the darkest days, you do focus on your why. You helped over 10,000 children. It's just one of the successes this amazing charity has had. You say that you help young people become the best they can be. It's in the same ethos that the Red Arrows have. But what have the young people been up to and what are the, some of the best things that they have achieved? <laughs> oh, lovely question. So I want to talk about one of our graduates because um, Nathan, I met Nathan on day one of his um, Blue Skies programme at RF Marum and been with him and followed his story throughout and he's now... 19 um and has just um gone through an apprenticeship as a quantity surveyor so i'd like to talk about nathan because he sort of encapsulates everything that we're about so nathan was on our one of our first blue skies programs that we ran at marum um so that was working with the tornado squadron there actually and young people um spent a day um, with the squadron, finding out what they did, listening to a briefing, meeting the engineers, learning about survival equipment, and just had this inspirational day. And they were from down in market, so they were from a school quite close by to the base, but had never seen the aeroplanes flying and, and seen the base and gone, that could never be a world that we were part of. So Nathan was one of the students that came along, did um, 15 sessions over three months, um, did all sorts of um, uh, activities outside as well sort of did orienteering um low ropes high ropes everything the base has to offer um but he joined and the first day he came with his leg in plaster and at that point back in 2013 i was facilitating a lot of the program so i i ran them myself at that point because it was only about three of us in the charity and he came with his leg in plaster and head you know really kind of long fringe head down and said i'm not going to be able to sell this program am i miss and i said um 
why not Nathan? He said, because my leg's in plaster and I won't be able to participate. And I said, no, you know, your leg's in plaster, but we're about teamwork. We're about how, you know, no matter, you know, what, what you can or can't do, you, you work together as a team. And he's kind of face sort of lit up and was like, oh, okay. Um, so Nathan was on the program because aged 14, he had um, been at risk of exclusion 10 times. He'd spent his summer getting in trouble with the police. The reason he'd broken his leg was because he'd been climbing on the roof of buildings he shouldn't be climbing on, had fallen off. Um, and the teachers were at a point where if Nathan didn't change his behaviour and, and attitude, he wouldn't be in school anymore. And this was a sort of a last ditch approach to sort of help Nathan stay in school. So Nathan went through our programmes. He thought that the time he had at Marham was amazing. Um, he started taking an interest in in maths. Um, he said to me that he used to just write on the table at maths. He used to had head down, wasn't interested, didn't understand why maths was important. Um, but having seen some of the um, engineers and some of the teams at Marham decided that he was actually quite good at maths, but he just didn't see the point. So Nathan's grades went up. He went through... Um, the, the leadership level of our program so we have blue skies level one is about teamwork level two is leadership um and then it goes on to sort of supporting our people with work experience and employability so nathan by the time he'd reached the level three so employability level he had been made head boy of the school um he then came to speak at our dinner which we had um our patron so Stuart um air, air vice marshal he was at the time Stuart Affer and Brian Cox professor Brian Cox one of our patrons and Nathan stood up to an audience including our patrons and I think it was about 200 of our military contacts and corporate contacts and he opened our dinner and he said um that when he was um a teenager his mum had said to him that by the time he was 18 he would either be the next Richard Branson or in prison and he said before I started the JET programme, I was on the route to being in prison. Then he went on to describe everything he'd done and how he was head boy. And since then, Nathan has gone on to run the Great North Run with us um, to celebrate, raise funds for the charity and promote us. And he has been on an apprenticeship as a quality surveyor. And last time I heard from him, he sent me a picture of him standing at the High Speed 2 site with his hard hat on and clip pad and just saying how, without the John Egging Trust, he would not be where he is today. And the fact that he's very much likely to go on and be employed by the, by the organisation that's given him an apprenticeship. And he's about to work on amazing engineering projects such as the High Speed 2. So Nathan is a different boy. That's come from Nathan and what he's able to do and what the trust has enabled him to understand, yeah, the confidence to be able to be Nathan. Um, and that's just one story of, of, of hundreds of young people that get, if you get that support at the right age to the, to the young people that need it most, lives can be very different. Um, and what's fabulous is Nathan's one of our youth ambassadors. So he comes and he speaks about the difference the charity's made to his life, but also then inspires other young people to know that the sky's the limit and to go out there and achieve what, what they are capable of too. Gosh, and that's so important and so inspiring because just giving people and young people access to these sort of role models and to show them that they don't need to give up at such an early stage and it is accessible is really, really important. And I'm so, I'm so impressed and awed by this and I will be telling everybody that I meet all about it because I think it's really, really fab. So what is the plan? Where is the charity heading? Where will you be in five years time? Oh, well, 
back in 2013, I set the target of, of us supporting 10,000 young people by 2020. We hit that target two years early. Um, and we are now looking at the next decade ahead. So we're in nine different regions. We'd, we'd love to um, launch our programs in Scotland and we've got plans to do that in the next couple of years. But really it's about um, not, not, not necessarily increasing our numbers because we are chuffed to bits that we're reaching out to 10,000 young people, but we are gonna be enriching our programs. We want to add to those experiences young people get. We'd love to develop our employability offer. So we want to connect with organizations who are supporting young people like Nathan with apprenticeships um, and training. So it's about, it's about de developing our network. It's about making sure the opportunities we offer young people have high impact and we, we're currently undergoing an evaluation phase just to sort of ensure that going forward we are doing the best we can do. So it's about enriching and strengthening and reaching out to other organisations to signpost our young people to the right opportunities when they need it. So I suppose we've, we've grown and we're, we're covering the UK in many ways, but this next decade is about enriching what we do and adding even more value to those lives of you know, the Nathans out there, I'd love every young person who comes on our programme to, like Nathan, have a job at the end of, of their journey um, and a job that they are, like Nathan is, absolutely right for and proud to be doing. And if we're inspired to help you like I am, and if we want to get involved and find you, um, what do you need help with? How can we help you? So we, we call them heroes because they are. And the heroes are the people that support us by giving their time. And the heroes are the people that fund us and that make our um, growth possible so I'd love someone who's listening to this and saying oh, I've got I, I, I've got a story of how I had a point in my life when my life changed for the better and if I could just tell that to a 13 year old he thinks there's nothing out there for him or her that might help so we've got inspirational role um, role models so these are so these are people that can come and do talks or help on a session so like I said go onto our website and there is a link there to get in touch and just um, tell us what you think you can do to help. Fundraising is really, really important. And um, I have, <laughs> for my sins, run a couple of marathons, um, do the Great North Run every year, taken up cycling to, to do challenges because the Giant Aking Trust runs a whole series of runs and challenges. And we also encourage anyone who, who would like to contribute to the work that John Aiken Trust does in their area to come up with a quirky idea to raise money for us. So no amount is too small because it all, every little bit adds up to supporting the communities close to you from which our young people come from, but which also give back and support those young people through, the, through our programme. So please get in touch if you've got a fundraising idea. If you want to join me doing a run or a cycle ride, we have our John Egging Trust Jet Ride happens every, every September. We had our first one last year. We've got it coming up again this year. And we think we had um, nearly 200 riders last year and we want to increase that event. So it's hosted at RF Cranwell. Um, like I said, I'm going to be dusting off my, my road bike and doing it this year. So please get involved. And if it inspires you to set a challenge for yourself, then, then all the better. And we can find out details on the website. That's right, yeah. So Emma, that unfortunately means we have reached the end, which is such a shame because I've loved talking to you. I'm finding what you're doing really inspiring and I think it's really important and I think we should all be supporting it and looking at what you're doing because young people are so important and I think your story is one that everybody should be listening Aww. to. I know in the Air Force they have the old 
saying from adversity to the stars. I won't try the Latin because that's a bit too much for me. But I think where you have come from and what you have achieved is so very inspiring. And thank you for sharing this story with me. Oh, thanks, Jess. And thank you for taking the time to listen. Another thank you to the lovely Emma for sharing her story. Obviously, it was a very personal one, and I hope that I have done it justice. I think we can all agree that the John Egging Trust is a brilliant charity, and I think that we should all try and get involved wherever we can. Maybe you're an inspiring person, or perhaps you're sat next to one. You can really make a difference, so make sure you get in touch. This charity was born out of something so tragic, but it's making a real difference, so please support it however you can. This is the end of series three. It has been the most wonderful and inspiring series. I hope you have enjoyed having access to all these amazing people. I will be back very soon with series four and I'm so excited to start sharing these stories with you. In the meantime, why not listen back to all the previous episodes and stay inspired. I will see you very soon.